Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia, Episode 12, Life of the Peasants After the Uprising and Foreign Policy in the 14th to the 16th Centuries. After the St. George's Day Uprising, the peasants were severely punished. There was also a general sense of lawlessness. The feudal lords cared much less about the rights of the peasants than before the uprising, and brute military force was used to discipline peasants that would not follow the orders of their feudal lords. In the 15th century, the economy in Western Europe began to change as the manufacturing industry began to develop. With the ever-increasing population in cities in Western Europe, and particularly the Netherlands, this affected Old Livonia quite a bit, as the price of grain went up, particularly the price of rye. Dutch trading ships were often seen visiting Old Livonian ports. With the increased profits and demands on grains increasing, new manor estates were built and old manors expanded upon. By the mid-16th century, the number of manors already exceeded 500. As the wealth of the ruling elite increased, and as the city populations in Estonia expanded with tradesmen and craftsmen, there was a higher demand for luxury items, which increased the maritime traffic even more. As the demand for grain and the profits for producing the grain increased, so did the desire of the feudal lords to have increased yield from the lands, and this meant more work for the peasants. The peasants rented land from the noble class and paid for it with their labor on the manor estate. However, in lands held by the order or diocese, rent paid with money was still widely used. During this period, the tithe increased from 10% of the crop yield to as high as 25%. By the early 16th century, the peasants were more commonly asked to pay their rented land with money instead of paying for the rented land with labor. The peasants fought against this increased demand in whatever way they could. They made complaints against their landlords. Some failed to pay their rent. Some stood up to the manor lords by refusing to do the work they were ordered to do, while some ran away and resettled elsewhere. The peasants that fled were normally young men in border areas, and they fled to places such as Russia, Sweden, and Finland. Some peasants managed to settle in cities, where labor was always in high demand. This, of course, hurt the estates as, as they were losing free labor and the taxes they were collected from the peasants. Records exist of runaway peasants being punished as far back as the 14th century. In the early 15th century, when a fugitive peasant was found working at a rival estate, the estate that hired the runaway peasant was penalized by either having to pay the peasant's dues or return the peasant to his original master. But it was extremely important to have the labor of these fugitive men, and the only way to keep the peasants from running away was for the feudal lords to have an agreement in which they would return a fugitive to his original estate instead of using them at their own estate. For this to work, of course, all the feudal landlords needed to comply with this plan. The first formal agreement that was written up at the Tartu Diocese in 1458 
Rural police courts were established to identify runaway peasants and to return them to their original estate. Now that the nobles had this agreement, they were able to treat their peasants as private property. They could be bought and sold, traded or bequeathed to someone else after the nobleman's death. By the beginning of the 16th century, most Estonians had lost their personal freedom, and one could say that the age of serfdom had arrived. But the legal situation of the, of the peasants were not equal. All the peasants had specific roles and certain rights based on their job. The plowmen were the majority of the peasants. Each plowman was given a certain amount of land they were, they were responsible to plow, and these areas varied greatly in size. They ranged from half a plow land to five plow lands in size. In the, fifth, in the 15th century, a plow land was considered between 8 to 12 hectares. So if one plow, plowman was asked to plow three plow lands, it seemed like it would have been normal to have a plowman that was responsible for 24 hectares or 59 acres to plow. The, lar the larger manors also needed to hire farmhands and housemaids. In the first half of the 14th century, with the expanding lands being farmed, a new class of peasants was developed called the one-legged. This group largely consisted of the younger sons of plowmen, in which there was no longer space in his father's household, and they would settle a farm somewhere on the outskirts of the land. It is said that the island of Hiuma became increasingly, became increasingly more populated because of this practice. The term one-legged was derived because one day a week this peasant was required to work on the manor estate, or it was said that he had one leg on the estate. It is said to have been more advantageous to be a yeoman. These peasants paid taxes in cash and were free to, to, uh, and freed of the statute of labor. The highest class among the yeomen were called the freelanders. There were very few in this class, and these were most likely the descendants of the ancient Estonian noble class. The freelanders were not subject to the taxes that a normal peasant was, but they, but they were also required to serve in the feudal caval cavalry in times of war. Although after St. George's Day uprising, Estonians were no longer obligated to serve in the military of their masters. They were taken away, however, on occasion for large military expeditions. The three-field system which started to take place between the 13th and 14th century had become the standard. Old Livonia had less internal and external struggles in the 15th and 16th centuries. Therefore, the population was able to increase. During the ancient fight for freedom, the Estonian population was estimated at 100,000 people. By the mid-16th century, the population had reached 250 to 280,000. Some of the population gain was due to coastal settlements of Germans and Swedes that largely lived in cities. The Germans had tried to bring some of their own German peasants to settle the land, but it didn't work out. To counterbalance the local Estonians on the island and the coast, Swedes were granted the right to purchase land by the mid-14th century. The Russians also began to make settlements by the mid-15th century 
around the town of Alutaguse on the northern coast of Lake Pepsi. The first, the first records of Jews in Estonia date back to 1333, and the first mention of the Romani date back to the first half of the 16th century. Even with the influx of the people just mentioned, the population increase in Estonia mostly came from its native Estonians. After the subjugation of the Estonians, German influence flooded into the daily lives of the Estonians. The German vocabulary began to be adopted into the Estonian language. Estonian beliefs began to change as well. Their previous pagan belief system was conquered by the Christians, and when the Christians cut down their sacred groves, and they weren't struck down immediately, as was previously believed, and no blood flowed from the statues of gods when they were destroyed, their whole world was turned upside down, and their gods did nothing. This made it plausible, and to them at the time, probable that the Christian God was indeed the one true God. The Estonians were also forced to follow the superficial customs of the Catholic Church, and they integrated these customs with customs that they had already been practicing. The new beliefs of venerating saints and relics was not all that different from their pagan rituals, and they adapted the, Christu the Christian rituals to make them their own. Estonians would bring offerings to church, such as wax figurines and money. The Catholic clergy also built churches and chapels on sacred sites, with the hope that going to one of these familiar places would feel correct to the Estonians. It is thought that Tartu's dome church was built in the former spot where the ancient Estonian offering stone was once located. This ensured that the pagans couldn't use their old sacred worshiping spot in the exact same way. Some Estonians continued practicing their ancient religion. Of course, though, they would have to sneak in a trip to the sacred, sacred grove to do it. In the 14th century, Estonians still kept their ancient names. More Christian names such as Andras, Jan, Lauer, Hans, and Mikkel were used by the end of the 15th century. And the business of dealing with the dead changed from cremation in ancient times to burial practices as soon as Estonians were subjugated. The whole concept of heaven and hell was brought to Estonia by the Christians, as well as the idea of demons, werewolves, and witches. A fun fact looking back from a modern perspective, but probably not so fun for those being persecuted. Since now that there was a belief in witches, and that they actually existed in physical form here on earth, to cure that, witch hunts were known to happen from time to time. With Christianity, there were new concepts Estonians had to try to figure out, like the concept of heaven and hell, good and evil, right and wrong, demonic and godlike, and it took quite a while for them to wrestle with these ideas before they were comfortable with them. And it wasn't until the end of the order's rule until services were conducted in Estonian. Before then, they were all given in Latin, which did not help with the comprehension of these new ideas. Domestic and foreign relations from the St. George's Day Uprising to the Reformation 
While before the St. George's Day uprising, Denmark appeared to be interested in selling its portion of Estonia. The chaos of the uprising and the helpless situation Denmark was in during the uprising probably helped galvanize Denmark's desire to get rid of the faraway and problematic holding. In 1346, Denmark did finalize the sale of Estonia to the Teutonic Order for 19,000 silver marks. In the following year, in 1347, the Grand Master of the Order gave governance of Haru Viru to the Livonian Order Master. Since the Order were actually in Estonia instead of a faraway country like Denmark, they were able to much better control the territory. The other areas of Estonia stayed under the same structure of control as before the sale of Haru Viru. Of course, the power and prestige of the order increased after St. George's Day Uprising, as they proved to be the only force that could maintain order. This new power the order procured from, from the uprising was resisted intensely by the bishops. The Archdiocese of Riga and the Tartu Diocese began dressing in black robes instead of their traditional white robes, which looked similar to the order's robes and the change was seen by the order as an attempt to undermine their authority. By the second half of the 14th century, all of Old Livonia, with the sole exception of the Tartu Diocese, was under the order's control. In the last decade of the 14th century, opposition to the order was led by the Bishop of Tartu, Dietrich Damero, who had many connections through Europe, and had been the secretary of Emperor Carl IV of the Holy Roman Empire. And he had also studied in Paris, and because of his diplomatic skills was able to acquire support in the form of foreign aid. At one point, he even tried to sell the Tartu diocese to the Queen of England, but because of the great distance, it never came to pass. Supporting Demereau in defiance of the order in Tartu, he was joined by the Duke of Mecklenburg and many other German noblemen, as well as Grand Duke Vitautus of Lithuania and the Archbishop of Riga. 500 pirates of the Baltic Sea, known as the Victual Brethren, was also, sure, uh, also helped sure up the defenses of Tartu. All this help came to naught as the Order's military expedition in 1396 settled the matter. The land of the Tartu diocese was plundered, and all the fortresses, with the exception of the main diocese in Tartu, were conquered. To try and settle the dispute, the involved parties met at a large, at a large conference in Danzig in the year 1397. In addition to all the representatives of Old Livonia, the Grand Master of the Order, Conrad von Unigen, and many other secular and religious figures were also present. It was decided at this conference that, they, that there was only one way forward, was to make the Archbishop of Riga an official member of the Livonian Order. At this conference, it was also decided that the Order could not demand the participation of the diocese and its vassals in military activities. This decision significantly cut back on the Order's influence. Grand Master Conrad von Uningen also wrote a letter of pardon to all the vassals of Haru Viru. This enabled the vassals to inherit property 
which strengthened their positions further. When the order arrived in the 15th century, the internal struggle continued. The first major setback was the Battle of Grunwald, where a united army of Poland and Lithuania handed the Teutonic Order a devastating defeat in 1410. This this defeat caused the weakening of the Grand Master's authority, and that in turn caused the position of the Livonian Order to weaken. It was not only external threats that weakened the Order, but internal discord was also a problem. The Archbishop of Riga was able to govern itself free from the Order's guiding hand. The Order's master was also in a strained relationship with the Bishop of Sodermah Lanama. The, the role of the vassals continued to grow in importance, especially in Haryuviru. When internal disputes arose, they were resolved at meetings called Men's Days. The vassals tended to support the Order in these meetings more than the bishops in general. The cities copied this format and coordinated meetings to help promote the interest better, and these gatherings were called Cities Days. Starting in the year 1421, more general diats, a deliberative assembly of ruling class, were held in Old Livonia. The meetings were generally held once a year, and many important topics were covered in these meetings, such as taxes and the problem problem of runaway peasants in 1435. The Diets were formally organized to include four representative groups. One, the Archbishop of Riga and other church authorities. Two, the Order Master and officials of the Order. Three, representatives of the vassals led by the leading vassals of Haryuviru. And four, representatives of the city. Riga, Tallinn, and Tartu. The fact that now that the vassals and the cities were included was seen as being very important for their development. To make it as accessible as possible to all, the Diets were were held at a geographic center that was center in Old Livonia, either in Volga or Valmiera, and with time these became the center of power in the 15th century. Although important items were discussed at these meetings, they did not work as a unifying force of the various political powers. The decisions made at these diets were not legally binding, and if only one person was against the agreement, nothing would come of it. So it might sound like it was fairly difficult to get anything done at these meetings, and it was. It seemed that only things they agreed upon were matters relating to keeping the peasants under control. In 1507, a decision was made to do away with the auxiliary military force of the peasants. Already before this, peasants were not able to own weapons, and they were they were of very little military use, as they had little training, and these were now days of professional soldiers and cannons. The decision was made because the ruling class still didn't trust the local Estonians, and there was fear of another revolt. After the Battle of Grunwald, the Livonian order found it hard to act as a unifying force in Old Livonia. Neighboring countries signed treaties of alliance and became stronger, which again is what happened during the Battle of Grunwald. So the neighboring countries became stronger and the order remained static. 
Poland and Lithuania formed a union in 1385. This agreement meant that Jogaila, the Grand Duke of Lithuania, would also become the King of Poland. The Scandinavian countries of Sweden, Norway, and Denmark signed a treaty agreeing to follow the same foreign policy. So when Denmark decided it wanted, its, it wanted Estonia again, the Danish king became the Duke of Estonia. Also during this period, R Russia formed into a unified country with Moscow as the capital. In the 15th and the beginning of the 16th century, R Russians posed the greatest threat to the order. The Grand Duke Ivan III annexed Novgorod and brought the large state of Russia directly on the doorstep of Old Livonia. In 1480, the Russians got involved with the war with the Tatars. The, leader, the leaders of the order took this opportunity to attack Peskov, but were not able to take the city. The Russians, of course, retaliated, and the united armies of Peskov and Novgorod sent an expedition to Livonia in the winter of 1481. The order master was not able to do anything to stop the raid and kept his armies in their fortresses. The Russian armies plundered the land for an entire month. The most important city to be conquered was the city of Viljandi, which, which was burned to the ground. The Russians were not able to conquer the fortress in Viljandi, however. Moscow didn't have the necessary force to completely conquer Livonia, so a 10-year armistice was signed in the fall of 1481. It was evident that the power of old Livonia was waning, and Ivan III still maintained a clear policy of expansion, and Livonia was in its crosshairs. In 1492, he ordered a mighty fortress on the bank of the Narva River to be built called Ivangorod, directly across from the fortress of Narva. I have been there many times, and both fortresses still stand with Ivangorod being very impressive. In 1495, the Hanseatic trading station in Novgorod was shut down and the German traders imprisoned. Old Livonia was at last and temporarily united because of the mutual th threat of a Russian invasion. The master of the order, Walter von Plettenberg, while a German, was born and raised in Narva. Therefore, he had a good understanding of the Russian threat. The problem all of Old Livonia had is that they couldn't afford to maintain a large army to defend Livonia permanently. So it was decided at a diet that an, that an unexpected attack on Russia was the best path forward. The diet decided that a special war tax would be collected to help fund the expedition, though only half the amount called for was collected. The largest army in Livonian history was gathered. The, est the, the estimate at the time was 80,000, which is probably an exaggeration, but still a massive army nonetheless. The army headed by Master Plettenberg invaded Russia in the late summer of 1501. As the army crossed over to Russia, they happened to run into an invading Russian army. After a short battle, the Russians fled. The Livonian army, though, had a contagious disease that was spreading through their ranks, so heading further into Russia and attacking Peskov was decided against, and the army made its way back to Livonia. Later in the year, in the same year, the Russians conducted large-scale looting raids 
into Livonia through Viliandi, Tartu, Yarva, and Viruma, causing devastation to the land. For the first time, Tatars were included among the Russian cavalry and right away earned a reputation for the savage treatment of the peasantry. Plettenberg again attacked Pskov in 1502 and met with success as the army won a major battle at Lake Smolino, and the Russians were forced to retreat. After this battle, the two sides again agreed to an armistice, and a treaty was signed in 1503 and was expanded upon multiple occasions. Overall, the victory over the Russians was smaller than what they had hoped for, but it did secure peace with Livonia for many decades to come. My family and I are still waiting for our trip to Estonia a few days from now, but, as, but I was able to get to one more podcast out before we left. In next episode, we talk about the cities in Estonia, the framework of the legal system, and the type of jobs people were engaged in.